Good morning. Today is Sunday, November the 10th, 2013. We're at the First United Methodist Church of Fountain Valley, California, through the Bible Sunday School class. We're a little short today on people, and we have a visitor, Phyllis, Gleema Beverly's sister with us. We've been in Psalms. We're going to be at Psalm 80 today, and I'll open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the fellowship of the saints, for the unity of believers, Lord. We thank you for the peace of Christ, which passes understanding, that you have a way in our lives, and we can see your sovereign hand from place to place. We remember all your benefits. Open your word to us today. Help us to know you better as a result, and we'll be careful to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in Psalms, and actually we had started Psalm 80. I wasn't here last week. I put my back out, so we skipped a Sunday. And I think we had made it through the verse 6, but I think I'm just going to start at the beginning again because it's just a lot easier. Psalm 80, restore us, O God. Um, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, beautiful name for God, you who lead Joseph like a flock. The... Um, the care and the nurture of God for his people is consistent throughout scripture. And of course, we all know that Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. The mention of Joseph is dear and tender to me because he was the brother sold into slavery, went through terrible trials, and was lifted up and exalted at the end, successfully interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, God giving him the meaning of those dreams, Joseph was one of the was the eleventh son of Jacob, and um, <clears throat> Joseph himself became a shepherd to God's flock as he told Jacob his father, "Bring our people down here to Egypt, where there's food during that famine." You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, and as I was mentioning a few times ago, that sometimes you know like. The Psalms is the dessert of the Bible, and you sort of have to, like a good aged red wine, just roll it around in your mouth a little bit. You who are, he is the great I am, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim. Well, that calls forth the early administration of God's presence with his people when he was enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. So we'll go back to just a couple of spots in the Old Testament under the kings of Israel to Samuel chapter 6. <clears throat> David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and at chapter 6 verse 2 it says that he is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it into the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And again, at 2 Chronicles 6, this recounts the dedication of the temple that Solomon built, which was the son of David, King David. After Solomon's prayer for dedication of the temple, chapter 6 ends with, at verse 40, now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers of this place. And now, 
Arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place. He rested between the cherubim, you and the ark of your might. And um, we could go into Ezekiel, of course, and also see when that presence of God enthroned upon the cherubims actually departed from the temple right before the Babylonian captivity when the, when the temple was burned to the ground, which this psalm will talk about. So you are enthroned upon the cherubim. Shine forth. I sometimes wonder if this psalm was the inspiration for that praise song, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Fill your land with the Father's glory. Before Ephraim and Beth and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. God's coming to us is the biggest celebration of the entire Bible that God so loved the world that he sent. And the book will end with, Come, Lord Jesus. So God's people calling to the Lord to come and to save us is almost prophetic because that's exactly what happened. The Lord came and he came to save. And as Paul said, he came to save the chiefest of sinners, which was me. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. You know, in the Old Covenant, they saw God's face shining on them was part of the blessing. And of course, there was that blessing, you know, that, the, that God's face would shine upon you and give you peace. Okay? Shine on us that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? The concept of God angry with his people's prayers is kind of something just to think about right there and to pause at. But what it reminded me of was when Jesus was teaching the people to pray. He says at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And then, of course, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. We know that so well. So the concept of God's people moving to a place where they can still maintain their liturgy, maintain their feast days, maintain their religious order of worship, and yet God angry with their prayers, because prayer is truly from the heart. In fact, St. Augustine said that the prayer is the affectionate outreach of the soul for God. And so our prayers should come from the heart. And if they're not from the heart, and they're not in truth, and they're not humble, then I imagine the Lord might be angry with their prayers. I see sometimes Jeremiah, the Lord told Jeremiah to go stand in front of the temple and speak that he was angry with his people. So can you imagine you're walking up to church, there's the prophet of the Lord outside, they're handing out the bulletins and the prophet's saying, you know what? You might be coming to church, but God is not pleased with what you've been doing. 
He sees your dishonest business dealings. He sees how you are oppressing widows and children. He sees that you are a hypocrite. So I think it's important for us to remember that we are so religious as a people that we can actually pray when we're in the worst spot and try to maintain our image. <laughs> but God sees deeper and he sees to our hearts. Then he says, you, referring to God at verse 5, have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. Well, we know the Lord had a cup to drink. His cup, he prayed, would pass from him. His, his the mother of a couple of the apostles asked if her two sons could sit at his right and his left when he comes into his glory, and Jesus said they can't drink the cup. But there is a cup sometimes that the Lord asks his people to drink, and it is a cup of tears. And somehow it is discipline from God so that we might serve him as sons. Despise not thou the discipline of the Lord. Do not faint when you are rebuked by him, because his intentions towards you are good, that you would walk in righteousness, walk in holiness, and inherit eternal life. So sometimes God has to feed his people the bread of tears so that they might return to him. The psalmist goes on, you make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. There's nothing worse than feeling derisive laughter aimed your way. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine. That's the recurring chorus that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The concept that God's people are his planting, his planting. If you'll remember how the Psalms open, the very first Psalm says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, whose delight is in God's law. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. So the fruitful vine... And the unfruitful vine is a picture that the scripture gives us. Now, when Isaiah will open, Isaiah will talk about this unfruitful vine of the Lord, this unfruitful vineyard. At chapter 5, Isaiah says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So what more was there to do for my vineyard, he says, than I have not done in it? Why did it yield the wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge 
It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. I will command the clowns that they rain upon it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. This is Isaiah 5. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, and he found bloodshed, and for righteousness, and behold, an outcry. So the Lord is looking for fruit. In fact, he told us to judge vines by their fruit. And you'll remember he walked by and he cursed the fig tree. Do you remember that? Yeah. So we are the Lord's planting and we are intended for fruitfulness. And, and, and Jesus told us the means towards fruitfulness that we must abide in him. You are the, you are the branches, he said. I am the vine. Unless you abide in me, you will not bring forth fruit. When I was at Lizzie's church this morning, they sang this one beautiful song about needing the Lord. If we don't recognize our need, we are his planting. Our very uh, health must come by his spirit to be his pleasant planting. Paul will bring up this concept of God's planning and God's vineyard when he talks about the people of Israel. Have they been rejected by God in the post, you know, return of Jesus to the earth era? And he says, at Romans 11, verse 11, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? He said, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, he said. But uh, he said, if, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but stand in awe, because the Lord is able to graft them back in. And if they were broken off, what could happen to you if you were unfaithful? That's what he's going to go on to say. So God has his planting. He has his vineyard. And as he brought his vine out of Egypt here at verse 8, he miraculously took them through 40 years in the desert in spite of their complaining and grumbling and disobediences and idolatries. He successfully brings in that second generation and he let them take deep root and fill the land and the mountains covered with their shade. We know that the Queen of Sheba came to see this planting of the Lord. And their branches went to the sea and their shoots to the river, the Euphrates and Mediterranean Sea. They were luxuriant vine. Then they turned disobedient, and the psalmist says, Why then have you broken down its walls? Well, Isaiah tells us the answer. Broken down due to lack of fruit. I did everything I could for you, yet you did not produce any fruit. So that all who pass along the way will pluck its fruit. 
Turn again, O Lord, of, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. God so loved the world. God so had regard for his vine that he sent his son. Remember, Jesus tells the story. There was husbandmen, and they were evil husbandmen. He sent his servants, and they killed him, and he finally sent the son, and they did the same to the son. They did the same to the son. But God had regard for his vine. And when his vine looked like it would ultimately die, the stock his right hand had planted, then there was the son whom he made strong for himself. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. Jesus said, I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and you need to abide in me. I am the son whom he made strong for himself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. Well, the vine was burned, as it were, when their temple was burned. Perished at the, may they perish their enemies at the rebuke of your face, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand. Well, Hebrews tells us, where does Jesus sit? At the right hand, waiting for his enemies to be put under his feet. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. This was Jesus' most frequent term as he refers to himself, son of man. He is son of God. I love that hymn, Ferris Lord Jesus, son of God and son of man. But I think Jesus' emphasis on his humanity is so huge for us. He was the second Adam made strong by God to do what the first Adam had been unfaithful to do which was to be obedient in all the Lord's house. This son of man, the man of God's own right hand, the man of God's choosing. Make him strong for yourself. Then we shall turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Only God can give life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lazarus, come Forth, Who can bring a dead man forth? The power of God, the man of God's own choosing. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. The title of God of hosts is so important because it means God of all. God of the heavens, God of the earth, God of the demons, God of the planets, of the stars, God of the heavenly beings, the cherubim, the seraphim. God of all. Let your face shine, then that we may be saved. When God shines, good comes to his people. And what good comes to them is salvation. Because that is what the name of Jesus is. The Lord is salvation. Joshua, Yeshua. So that's Psalm 80. And I think that's all the time we have today. We spent a lot of time talking since Phyllis was here. Mm -hmm. And Bill, I'm going to let you close this in prayer as I promised. 
Our Father, we thank Thee for this beautiful day. We thank Thee for this lesson that was so sweet. Father, help us to learn from these lessons and put them to our life. Father, be with Phyllis as she goes back home. Help her eyes to improve so she can hurry up right back with us. Father, we thank Thee for Thy many blessings. Bless us to this day and to Thy word. In Thy name we ask. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to Bible study verse by verse with Vicki Mulak. For more of these podcasts and some resources, please go to our website at www.biblestudyvbv.org. O-R-G. That's www.bible study, V as in Victor, B as in boy, V as in Victor. The VBV stands for versebyverse.org, O-R-G. There you can register and contact us, or just leave a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thank you. This is George Mulek.